This is Redefining the Counterculture on Witten Radio. Make sure to check out our website at wittenradio.com. Hey guys, you're listening to another episode of Redefining the Counterculture right here on Witten Radio. Uh, today we've got a super special guest for you. We're joined by the legendary MTV VJ, Ricky Ratman. Uh, you know him from MTV's Headbankers Ball, amongst many other things. Ricky, how are you? I am doing tremendous right now. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Man, I'm super excited to um, to talk with you because you have so much going on. Namely, uh, you recently launched a new podcast uh, that's based on uh, your experiences from the Cat House. And uh, just for our listening audience, I know that the, the Cat House, it opened in 1986, and some of the, the artists that came through and that performed there were amazing, nothing short of amazing, and a lot of them got their start there. Um, for, I guess, the, the people that are uninitiated, I was wondering if you could give us, like, a list of some of the artists and just kind of a brief rundown of, like, their stories. Well, um, our house – and the, the, the funny thing is the Cat House, when, when I opened it in 1986, it was and, – and you can hear in the Cat House Hollywood podcast, I go through the whole kind of process of it. And it's also not just my stories because I can't remember anything. So it's other people telling their stories, whether it was musicians that played there to just, you know, like the last episode with just the DJ. But, um, I mean, Guns N' Roses, Black Crows, Alice in Chains, Alice Cooper, Motorhead, Megadeth, White Zombie. Uh, I mean, I just, I'm, I can't, the list is endless. Every, so many bands played there. And the club was small. And the cool thing is, like, Guns N' Roses played there when they were drawing, you know, 800 people. And then when they were playing... Football stadiums, they play there. So, you know, it, the last episode talks about something that happened in 1989, and Guns N' Roses had just played in front of 100,000 people, and then they came back three days later to play in front of 800. So it, the cool thing was, because it was a place that people want, the bands wanted to play, you would see some of the biggest bands play under different names. And it wasn't just a regular live venue. Like, I was very, very strict on who played there. You know, it had to be somebody that, that I liked. It had to be somebody that was good. It had to be somebody that was cool. And bands did not play there thinking they were getting, you know, much money at all. They played there because it was a really cool place to play. Absolutely, absolutely. And I know that you've got some some real history with Guns N' Roses. I, th- I think you were in um... – was it like I think it was like November Rain or something like that was like their one of their music videos that you were a part of. Um, how did your r- relationship with Guns N' Roses grow to to, to what it was? Because I mean, you had a real working relationship with these guys. I mean, probably yeah. closer, I'd say. I mean, I I owe so much of my career to that band. And it was just because we were off friends. And so the cat house was, you know, it was like our clubhouse where all of our friends that were in bands hung out. But some bands like Guns N' Roses, as they got bigger and bigger and bigger, they would, you know, help elevate the cat house to bigger and bigger status to the point of Axel would always wear cat house shirts on stage or they would play there. And then when it came to getting a job at MTV, Axel was the one that suggested it. And he even flew to New York with me for my audition. Oh, so, wow. so the band has always been, 
you know, I, I owe a lot to Guns N' Roses, and, you know, they say, oh, is it who you know? Maybe it is who you know, but if that helps, okay. It's, it's, it was, And it's still weird. It's still weird for me to go to a sporting event, and they start playing Welcome to the Jungle, and I'm like, wow, it's Guns N' Roses, you know, because those are just my friends. And, right, you know, right. it became irritating to people whenever I would intro a video on MTV to say, oh, well, these guys are my friends, you know, and I could see that it would drive me crazy if I was watching, but the problem is that all these people – were my friends. They weren't in bands at the time. We just had this small circle. Everybody was in bands except me. I just I was in a band, but it really didn't do anything. But I just kind of worked on the cat house. And so while their bands were doing good, I was working on the cat house. And that's what the podcast talks about. Not only all the things that happened in the in the club, but all the struggles that everybody went through. But also Los Angeles in general, pop culture. It has a lot of stuff that has to do with that era. You know, episode four is nothing about my experience except my experiences in the L.A. punk rock scene. So it's not all stuff that happened at the Cat House. It's just sort of that was the epicenter of everything, and it was, you know, every form of decadence and raunch and roll that you could possibly imagine. And the podcast, everything in it is all true. Absolutely. You, you know, when I think about the Cat House, it, it, you know, I would almost – I mean, I don't want to be, like, sacrilegious or anything, but, like, I would almost put it up there with, like, CBGB and some, some other amazing, you know, venues. Um, when you first started it out, uh, when you founded the Cat House, did you – were you aiming for that, or did it just kind no. of come out? And, and thank you. I mean, I've had people say, Cat House, CBGB, Studio 54. I'm like, okay. You know, I, man, if, it, if I had any sense and I knew about licensing, I'd probably be making a mint. But I don't. I own, I own all the worldwide trademarks on at Cat House, and, you know, I sell T-shirts out of my house, you know. So, but when I opened it, and it, there's a, a segment that's been said a bunch of times, and even in the movie The Metal Years, my roommate was Tammy Dan, who started the band Faster Pussycat, and Tammy and I honestly opened the club so we could get free drinks, so we could meet girls, and we, didn't have to, and we didn't have to clean up the mess afterwards. That is the honest truth. Hey, um, I mean, did, did, did I be talking about it? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm just kind of shocked. I mean, like, that's cool. I, I, I didn't know if you were going to have, like, a deeper story, like you were pissed off at the clubs in the area, and you just – but, I mean, <laughs> that's actually cooler, I think. <laughs> if you liked what happened at the cat house you knew it was because i did it and if you didn't like what happened you would come to me so it was more than any other club not everybody knows steve rebel when it comes to studio 54 but everybody knew ricky rackman cat house and that worked for me and against me because I put my name on the club, so I did everything I could to make sh- make sure people would have a good time. And making money wasn't always the you know the motivation at all. I mean, the same thing goes with the podcast. You know, right now it's a number five downloaded podcast, and I don't even have a sponsor. You know, so I'm like, <laughs> maybe it's time for me to also start thinking about ways to do this for a living. I do everything. You know, the first the first rule is, okay, is this going to be fun? Is this is this going to be something that's going to be cool to do? And that's the way the cat house is. And never, you know, 
we if I would think think man, it's going to be so cool if I can have a one year anniversary. On the second night, there were fifty nine people, and everybody was telling me just to to quit and to stop oh, doing the club because I didn't have money. You know, I was just scraping by. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I um, what was it that? Well, I guess was it the love of it that just really kept you going? You know, despite the the bad times, so to speak. Absolutely. That's exactly what it was. It was, I wanted, you know, when everybody around you is starting bands and getting record deals, when Faster Pussycat and Guns N' Roses and Jane's Addiction and L.A. Guns and everybody is getting signed and you're friends with, you know, the guys in Motley Crue and they're touring and you get to go out with them and you get to see all the stuff that everybody's doing. You're like, man, what do I get to do? What do I get to do? So I I made it to Cat House and Cat House was my band. And, you know, I'm just some young, cocky, jerk kid living in, on Hollywood Boulevard. And then all of a sudden, everybody's coming to my club, and it's very flattering. It's a real nice pat on the back. When it was, they weren't going to, I have no idea thinking that people went to the club to see me. Of course they didn't. They went to the cat house <laughs> because they wanted to see who they'd see. But it's still, it was my name on the door. It was my cat house. So Absolutely. I became... So, you know, on our one-year anniversary of the club, I got sober and turned my addiction into doing whatever I could to build up the Cat House brand. And obviously it worked, and so much crazy stuff happened. And I've never told any of those stories, never wrote a book or anything. And now all these stories are coming out in the in the podcast. Absolutely. And, you know, um, with the launch of your podcast, I mean, I feel like it's just so timely – um, and it's it's amazing because you're chronicling history, you know what I mean? This stuff, I mean, as crazy as some of the stuff was, I mean, it's still history. It's part of music history, rock and roll history. And I guess, you know, um, it, my, my next question is, is like, what, do you have a story that just trumps all the other stories in terms of just oddity or just, craziness because i know that you saw like a lot in the years and those years um was there one story that just really still i guess it's hard to rack your your brain around i think the episode that that we just released which is episode nine with david bowie um i think that one was pretty crazy because it's just the 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 bummer is it's like like this is you know david bowie at his probably all-time worst in the dj booth and I wasn't even around. I was at the front door. I was hanging out doing or meeting girls or something. I don't know what I was doing. So some of these stories are stories that, that happened right around for me. Or, you know, I mean, it's just I, I can't say what is my story because every time I, I write a new episode, when I'm telling the story, you know, I'm, I'm telling these stories grinning ear to ear because these were this was so much fun or it was sad or it was you know, tragic or whatever it was. So I, it, it's hard to say, like, what you know, who's your favorite child? Which episode was the thing? And a lot of the things, you know, I just, this is just how I lived. So to say this was so crazy and so nuts, this is just what I knew. So I'm just realizing, oh, yeah, that was decadent. We really <laughs> did do some crazy, you know, you couldn't do that stuff today. And I'm realizing today, you know, how nuts it all was. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's kind of a weird question, but um, what is it that, that just 
draws you or that just drew you to rock and roll, specifically metal? Because I know that, you know, um, our genre of music is like a subgenre within a genre. And it's, it's, you know, it's not for everybody, but I mean, there are a lot of people, a lot of metalheads out there and then a lot of people that love rock and roll. Um, what was it that just drew you to the style of music? As I said in the last episode, I listen to rock and roll. So I don't know. It doesn't matter if it's Black Flag or Black Sabbath. I love rock and roll. I like, you know, roots rock and roll. I like Eddie Cochran, Gene Vincent. I like, you know, Lamb of God and Metallica and Megadeth. I like everything. The thing is, it's just to say what is it that draws you to rock and roll, that's like saying what is it that draws someone to cake. It's just something (laughs) that you love. You know, it wasn't something that, you know, I think that nobody ever says, I'm going to make rock and roll my lifestyle. It's just (laughs) what it was. That's what it is. That's what I found a way to somehow just be a rock fan forever. You know, and the only difference between me and the guy that's selling auto insurance that listens to rock and roll is I just am always doing rock and roll. I mean, it, yeah, to say yeah. what draws you to something, it's it's air. It's what I breathe. What draws me to music is I can't, I, I don't like being in a place without music. And the music has to move me. And it doesn't matter if it's something heavy with loud guitar and double bass drum or if it's something with a slide guitar that's old country. I just love music. And, you know, I've, I've been very, very lucky in the way to find a way to make a living you know, I, I also work in NASCAR. I've worked in NASCAR for 16 years. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people don't know that. And that was just something else that I loved. So I found ways, you know, to find something that I really, really love and work my ass off trying to find a way to get paid doing what I love. And then the problem is you have to remember, like, okay, remember you got into this because you love it. You know, don't be whining like, I got to do this, I got to do this. Like, you're not in there as a plumber, not that there's anything wrong with plumbers, or, or <laughs> right. doing anything else, because I don't know how to do anything else. I got you. I got you. So basically learning to take the good with the bad when it's something that you really, really love. Exactly. I mean, this is what I love. I've tried other jobs. I wasn't a very good car salesman. Um, I'm not good at a lot of other things, but when it's something that I'm passionate about, whether it's rock or racing, I love talking about it, and I love sharing my experiences, and, and you know, especially now, the, the really cool thing with the podcast is that people like it, too. I mean, you know, this is something that I sit in a room, write on a computer, I edit the clips, and I don't really know what I'm doing, and I don't know how to make the volume the same, and, and I don't <laughs> know if anybody's going to like it. So, you know, today was the day that I found out that I had seven episodes on the iTunes charts, and I'm number five, and I was like, Holy, like, I don't even, does anybody know that I don't know what I'm doing? If you look at all these big podcasts that are like the Podcast One Network or Gas Digital or NPR, all these stuff, and you look under what my network is, it says Ricky Rackman. I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm up there, and I'm like, holy crap. And now the problem is that I have a taste of it, and everybody's getting turned on. I just want it like, I'm like, well, why am I not number four, you know? So... uh, it's just, it's really, really a fun time for me right now because I'm telling these stories and people like it. And that's just the neatest thing because there's a lot, you know, I could have told the story and I was like, dude, let it go. But people like it. 
And that's and I keep on thinking, I'm going to run out of episodes. I'm going to run out of stuff to talk about. And then all of a sudden, it's like, hey, do you want to talk to, you know, Duff about this? I'm like, yeah. So <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Man, I, I love it. I love it. And speaking of your NASCAR stuff, um, uh, is Racing Rocks? It, that was a syndicated show that you were doing. Is is that still going? Yeah, 16 years. Oh, it's heard all over America, and I just I I write the show, and then I go and I interview the drivers. And then I go to the NASCAR Hall of Fame in Charlotte, North Carolina, once a week, and I record it, and it goes oh, wow. to stations all over America. There's a classic rock version. There's a mainstream rock version. I have nothing to do with the music that's played, but they all it's all good music. And yeah. it just goes all over America, and that, that's my job. That is what my job is. That's because amazing. I'm not, getting, I'm not getting paid a penny for this podcast. So, uh, Wow. That is amazing. That is yeah. amazing. And it's been on 16 years. That's yeah, the craziest I, thing. That, that is crazy. Yeah, because for a while I, I had satellite radio. Um, it's not on satellite. It's on regular radio. On regular radio? On regular, it depends what market you're on. If people go to racingrocks.com, you can find out. Like I know in Phoenix we're on KUPD, and there's all stations all over. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure all the markets that we're on. So. Okay. Wow. Okay, I'll have to check it out if if it's here in Memphis. That'd be yeah. I'm I'm definitely gonna look for it. Um, that's so cool. Now, um, you mentioned that you had gone sober for a while, and I know that you're also an ordained minister. Did did the two have any? I guess was there any type of um, connection between the two? Well, let's be real for a second. I just <laughs> perform weddings. I've done two weddings. Okay. And I took the weddings very seriously. Both couples are still married, so I'm at a hundred percent. I don't know if I'll. Oh wow! I know that's pretty sad when I've only married two people, and they're both two couples, and they're both married, and we're like, oh great. (laughs) But but um, it was something that I actually did take very seriously and didn't make a mockery of the thing. But that, as far as the the Reverend Ricky Rackman goes, that's all it is. It is something pretty much that I just you know, did something and didn't study it at any place of worship or anything like that. And as far as the sobriety goes, sobriety goes, um, I've been sober for 31 year, years, and that's only because I don't want to die, because I am a drug addict and I'm an alcoholic. And, you know, my girlfriend, I buy her wine every time we go out to dinner, she gets a glass of wine. I have no problem with that. And I don't have any problem with people that drink, and I don't have any problem with people that smoke a little bit of weed. You know, it's just I can't do that because I'm addicted because I don't know when to stop. And I'm like that with food and I'm like that with tattoos or hobbies <laughs> or, or everything. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. Like, but, you know, I don't know anybody that's, you know, wrapped a car around a telephone pole because they had too many tattoos. So Exactly, exactly. Ricky, you've had this amazing, amazing career. I mean, you know, a career that people dream about. Um you know, like looking back over your career, um, what, has there ever been a moment where you just felt like, hey, this was all worth it? Every, you know, every rough spot that I was in, every rough patch that I was in, um, you know, because I, I know it hasn't been easy. Um, but was there ever a time where you just thought to yourself, like, hey, this is all worth it? Um. I've had the opposite. I mean, what, what I don't, what people don't know is about how long I had some really tough times. I mean, I had times when 
I went bankrupt, and I don't mean like MC Hammer bankrupt living in a big house. I meant living in a small apartment with no power, and that was only, you know, in 2001. And, you know, it was really, really tough, and I had a bad relationship, and I had no money, and I had no job, and six days a week I was selling cars and collecting unemployment. And, I mean, I remember going to an ATM, and I had zero money in my ATM, so there was a lot of real tough times, and up until about three years ago, uh, everything was going okay, just going okay. And about three years ago, and I was like, wow, I go, what did it be like? What is it like to realize the best part of my life was behind me? And that was kind of tough, and then everything started changing, and you know, I do a lot of motorcycle riding, and I start setting goals and doing them, such as the case with the podcast. I've, I've got a great girlfriend. I've got everything's going awesome. And right now, I'm like in a really, really, like right now, I'm in a really good place, you know, because I've, I've battled with depression. Even, you know, I remember being in a Rackman Entertainment office on Hollywood Boulevard, standing in a, a room that was filled to the wall with cat out shirts that were selling like crazy, and I stood there, and I was like, I am so miserable you know, and not really happy. So the the problem was there was a lot of that great time because of battling with depression or whatever it was that I didn't really enjoy it. And now I'm kind of enjoying it. And yeah, I'm hungry and I'm not financially where I want to be yet. But like, like, I, like I keep on going back to this podcast. This podcast is so fulfilling and, you know, people aren't hearing sponsors and they're not paying for it, you know? So right, obviously right, right. I'm gaining something that isn't financial from this. And this makes it better than some of the things that I do for a living. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. 100%. So, yeah. That was uh, that was an eye-opening and also inspiring. I mean, thank you. Oh, shit. <laughs> thank you very much. I'm having, I'm having a good time, and I'm very excited to see – I mean, to say that things are different today than they were – three months ago is is a lot because this podcast is blowing up i'm it's bizarre and i put a lot into it i think it's when people listen to it it's not an interview show it's more like an audio book you know you listen to the first part of the last episode and i'm talking about you know where the word rock and roll came from you know and i like to think that people are coming on this journey with me and i put so much personal stuff into it and to hear that people like it you know, if somebody was giving me a couple grand for that, it's not going to give me the same satisfaction to hear people say, like, I really like the podcast. You know, I'm like, wow, thanks, because this isn't working for network. This is something I'm doing myself. So to hear the people that aren't even into that kind of music are liking it because they like to hear the personalities and the struggles and this and that, there's nothing more flattering. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great feeling just knowing that, you know, you're touching people's lives like in a 